Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Well, welcome to another edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. The first major of the year is in the books and it's congratulations to repeat champion Arena Sabalenka and for first time winner Yannick Sinner, who were both scintillating over the fortnight. Sinner, you might remember, didn't lose a set until the semi-final when he beat Novak Djokovic. I, like many, were wondering what on earth was wrong with the world number one. It turned out he had the flu. Can you even imagine playing top-level tennis with flu, let alone getting to the semi-finals of a major? To Novak's credit, we knew nothing of that as Sinner advanced in four sets to his first major final and then remarkably came back from two sets to love down against Daniil Medvedev to win the title in extremely classy fashion. Sinner is very easy to cheer for, isn't he? And so, in fact, is Italian tennis in general right now. Yannick spearheaded the country's first Davis Cup title in 47 years at the end of last season and is surrounded by up-and-coming players at every twist and turn. So today's podcast is all about Italy's so-called overnight success, which, as it turns out, has been 20 years in the making. Perhaps other federations will take note. I had the good fortune to speak to Italian Tennis Federation president Angelo Binaghi recently, and he let us in on a few secrets to Italy's outstanding success. Well, a warm welcome to Angelo Binaghi, uh, head of the Italian Tennis Federation, and we're here really to talk about the success of Italian tennis. We've got a translator. Thank you, Dario. Uh, so my first question is, how come Italian tennis is so good right now? Uh, because it's been a long time since the Italian Tennis Federation is no longer linked to the politics. It's all about uh, uh, prioritizing um, qualities and skills. Another of the reasons is because we've had pretty good ideas in the last 20 years or so. One of them, maybe the most important one, being the birth of Super Tennis TV, which is a tennis-only channel 24-7, which is free to air and therefore made tennis uh, break into Italians' um, houses and people's and and daily life in a way that was not possible beforehand. Ah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. What I did know was how many futures and challenges and pro events there are now in Italy. How important has that been? One of the cose that's been crucial to giving the chance to uh, many young players to have obviously wild card and easy access to all levels of tournaments since they were obviously in the junior times but even when they weren't professional that's obviously another pivotal point of the success and reason why the Italian tennis is so successful nowadays and we've had a huge amount of success at the Australian Open Yannick Sinner Simone Bolelli and Andrea Vavasori. Uh, how proud are you of these three gentlemen? You can call this a kind of a byproduct of the huge triumph that has been uh, winning the Davis Cup after 47 years, unfortunately, in the final versus Australia. But uh, this is a, a consequence of that, of the success and, and what it gave all the, in, the players individually as they are performing here. Now, the men are doing well right now, but is it fair to say that the women of Italy actually started the new revolution? 20 years ago, tennis in Italy 
was a disaster on the world stage. And it is fair to say that it all started with those four magnificent girls that led Italian tennis to a huge success. And uh, um, in terms of uh, popularity and wealth and, and structure, the Tennis Federation was the 15th, was ranked 15th uh, within the Italian federations, whereas now alongside with the football is the healthiest and most popular of the federation and the sports in Italy. And final question, Angelo, how is your tennis? <laughs> My <laughs> tennis uh, was uh, fantastic. <laughs> but? No, 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 no. Uh, it used to be. Io, no, no, it no, used to be. a buon tennista universitario. Called himself uh, a good uh, double player. He was a, um, one of the best of his generation at the university level. He graduated in um, engineering. Uh, he won two silver medals at the um, university year games, for sure, World University Games. Uh, he used to win uh, on a national level all the doubles and the mixed doubles, but he said he wasn't that good in, uh, in the single because he was a bit lazy and fragile. The highest he reached was number 14 in single at that uh, university level. Still very good. Angelo, many thanks for your time. It's been wonderful speaking to you and congratulations to Italian Thank tennis. Grazie mille, grazie mille. We're briefly going to interrupt this podcast to bring you information of the most comfortable tennis shoe you'll ever wear in your life. Frank Works tennis shoes have been designed by industry experts who've created a shoe which fits beautifully, features amazing cushioning for great comfort with a unique customizable strap. There has never been anything like Frank Works shoes. Frank Works, comfort of a running shoe, function of a tennis shoe. You can find more information at frankworksshoes.com. Honestly, they're the best tennis shoe I have ever worn. So, Mark, we've both listened to the, the Italian Tennis Federation piece, and I knew about the fact that they'd started with the Futures Challengers and ATP WTA tournaments in Italy. What I didn't know was about the television. Did that catch you by surprise as well? Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a really interesting insight from him because, you know, in, in the States, we have the Tennis Channel, which is exclusively being for tennis. But unfortunately, there's definitely a change in that landscape now where they're showing a lot of pickle or paddle, which I think is is somewhat controversial. It's more the racket channel rather mm. than the tennis channel nowadays. But it was really interesting. And I had noticed when I've been at tournaments in Italy that there's always tennis on the TV in the hotel room. So you always have access. And I think putting it, making it readily available to the everyday sports enthusiast was really a, a great, a smart, intelligent way for, for Italy to get people thinking and talking about tennis more. And I think they've got um, a really interesting set up there in terms of their their history with the great players they've had over the years you know even and and, and their players always tend to have a little bit of flair whether it's schiavoni um panetta um or fognini they get people talking and um i think that they've got i mean the the rome tennis tournament the thousand level event that's in about april or may is just a beautiful event mm. where they can showcase all of their their um you know just their whole structure there but also they always run a great coaching conference there so i think what he said was really interesting to me, but uh, that is sort of the culmination he felt over the last 20 years of their efforts was the adding or the addition of that tennis, exclusively tennis channel available to, to most people. 
Yeah, that was staggering, wasn't it? And I think it shows you what federations can do if they really think about it. And of course, there's a lot of investment here in England. We've had Amazon covering a lot of tennis. And I think tennis is very much on the rise, especially since after COVID. And now Sky Sports have got the rights and they've just announced that all the matches will be shown on the Sky Sports platform. It's a shame, isn't it, with the US, with the Tennis Channel, because it's been so good. I think tennis when I ran an academy over there, was very much on the rise with the Tennis Channel. And hopefully they'll buy perhaps some more rights. Maybe it's a money thing, do you think, that they've gone into pickleball and paddle? Uh, absolutely. Money is is talking. Um, you know, what do they say? Money walks and bullshit talks or whatever <laughs> it is. But um, it's, it's unfortunately, uh, there are some difficulties with tennis. But I don't think, for me, you know, I've been, I've discussed this with Magda and other players on the tour that, the, the the problem is not the content of tennis itself. It's more the production side, if I'm honest. So it's a bit, bit more in your realm. Actually, you would be more in the know about this than I will. But, mm. you know, so many times, if you look back at a couple of weeks ago when we played in Adelaide against Alexandrova, Magda and her are both top 30 players at the time. There was probably 25 people watching. And if you go back and watch the video that was put out for people to watch, it's not well edited. It's not exciting. And I think tennis has to learn how to produce these events better because the content is there. And, and what makes the, the Australian Open more exciting to watch is just, you know, whether it's on a changeover, they're showing videos of the players maybe arriving at the centre in the morning or they're putting up some interesting stats. They've got a very, uh, you know, the interactive commentary team with different angles and different, you know, um, minds on it, whether it's Brad Gilbert courtside or the McEnroe brothers up in the booth, whatever it is. I think the way that we produce the event and the sport is the problem rather than the content. I think there's a lot of people talking about trying to reduce the length of the matches. I don't think, I think so many, you, you look at what happened in the final of Australia. If we remove five sets, we lose that unbelievable comeback from Sinner. He loses. It's not a story anymore. Um, so I think that tennis, the content is there. We just need to find a way of producing it better. And I think that's where pickle and paddle, or I'll, I'll speak more for pickle because in Florida, that's a bigger sport. They are ahead of us in that league. I think that you've got a, a generation of people there that are making that sport um, really in, intelligently. They're producing and airing and covering that sport and they're making it fun and exciting and innovative and new ideas all the time. So I think that's where they're competing. You know, that's where they've outcompeted us so far. There's a, so many things that come to my mind now you've said that. Um, one, I think that matches do need to be shorter overall. I think the, most of them at the Australian Open were amazing, but we know we had more five setters in the men's than ever before. Also, Daniel Medvedev played, I think, 31 sets throughout the tournament, which is the most in majors. The ball bouncing is a big problem for me. We saw Sasha Zverev bounce the ball 20 times before a serve. Novak got up to 18. So I think the bouncing of the ball actually should be in the collective of the 25 seconds in between points. Any thoughts on that? I, yeah, I do. I think there's, you know, a few of my ideas would have been, first of all, I think we need to remove the changeover in doubles. I think it's just uh, there's no sit down needed in doubles. Or if it is, it's a 20 seconds to grab a drink and walk around. Yeah, I think we can cut the time out with that. Mm -hmm. I think that we've got to come up with a rule between first and second surf because we have a rule between the end of one point ending and the beginning of the next point, but not between surfs. I think there needs to be something done about that. I also think that we could bring back, you know, I've even heard people talk about little mini robots like they have in, in rugby to bring out the cone for the conversion kick where yeah. we can get players having the towel come back to them. 
because that's a big issue. And for anyone that plays tennis in, in the heat that there is in Australia or Miami, for example, you do need to towel down after yes. most points and that, the, you know, the courts are getting bigger, right? So the distance to get to the towel bin is, is longer. So I think that in that stage, I do, in that situation, I support the players. I think they need to either bring back the ball kids, bringing them the towel, whether it's with gloves on or whatever it is for the, for the whole, you know, hygiene part. But I think we need to help the players out there. Um, and I think that there needs to be clearer and more enforced rules because mm -hmm. I still think the rules of when the shot clock finishes, that technically speaking, the shot clock isn't started until after the umpire has, has announced the score. Yes. The problem is if it's a crazy point or something amazing happens, the crowd are cheering for 15 seconds, then the score is announced, then the 25 or 30 second uh, shot clock happens. So I think there's some things there that we can do. I think that the amount of content that the WTA makes of these players in the lounges and restaurants and off-court activities they have them doing during these you know, aired matches, they could really use that content to sell the game more. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, tennis is a a media, um, you know, it's 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 a content sport. That it, it's a content. It's, it's just media content. It's entertainment, and it's not entertaining to watch a lot of the times because of the way it's produced. Not necessarily because of the tennis itself. I don't. I think people have got to make that distinction and not throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. on that because I think that the tennis, you know, and anyone that says tennis was better ten years ago doesn't know what they're talking about. It it's might be different. Better and better. I agree. All sports are better now than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think we could do a much better uh, job of actually promoting the players and finding out the personalities. I just read a headline that one tournament director said he'd rather have Andy Murray than someone in the top 20 because of the personality. Andy Murray is a draw. People know Andy Murray, they know his story. Whereas for instance, they don't know so much about Alex de Menor, who I've met and is such a lovely, likable character. But what do you know about Alex de Menor? And you're on tour. You probably don't know too much. Well, that's, and again, that's where, um, that's the WTA's failure or the ATP's failure in that situation. Because as, as you know, we have to keep also making sure that, you know, if you look on the WTA website, if you look on their Instagram, you can probably tell which 10 players it's going to be that get the advertisement or 80% of the, and I know that's a kind of a business rule, right? Like 20% of your, your customers will take up 80% of your time. It's the same with this. It's it's they're promoting the same players and they're not mm. necessarily players that are going to fulfill the next generation of talent. And we've talked about it before, the likes of Mira Andreeva and Nozkova, but they weren't and still aren't, in my opinion, getting the necessary attention they should have been because it's still going to players maybe like Osaka or Svitolina or mm. Wozniacki. And I'm not saying they shouldn't get any. I'm just saying I don't think it's proportional. And I think the WTA does a really, on that side, they do a poor job of promoting the game. Um, I think most people will walk down the street, probably wouldn't know who a lot of the top 10 girls are if they yeah. were walking down the street. We need to get more faces, more promotion, because I can tell you from my side that the material is out there. At Basel, for instance, last October, November, we did 10-minute sit-downs with almost all the big names and some great answers. Well, I don't know where that video has gone, but it's it's sort of hidden, but it is there. Um, so it just needs to be perhaps promoted a little bit more. There's lots of opportunities. And, and as you said, the game is getting better. They're getting fitter, aren't they? I mean, some of the tennis is absolutely extraordinary. It's 
it, it is. And I think also, I think a lot of fans and what, you know, I know nothing about social media, but when I, the small bit I've started to learn from Magda, because she does a little bit more of that, is that fans and people in the, that maybe get interested in tennis, they want to know things that maybe we take for granted, whether it's about the traveling or the hotels and the flights and the food and how does it all work with entering events and what if you're injured and the WTA has taken so many videos over the years of, of coaches talking about that players, but it never gets used. Mm. And then what happens is you create a cycle of now where they're coming and asking for content and people are saying, I'm not interested because I've done 10 videos already yeah. this past two years and you never used them. So it's that's where we're fulfilling the void, aren't we, Mark? That's the whole point of this podcast. That is exactly why we're here, Candy. We are we we don't even need the WTA. We can fix it all ourselves. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be thrilled. Um, yeah. Let's finally talk about where you are right now and uh, what's the process and how is Magda? Because we know she hurt her leg a little bit during the Australian Open. Yes. Uh, where we are physically is in Abu Dhabi. Arrived <laughs> a couple of days ago. And mentally, and where we are mentally, <laughs> mentally, that's a whole. We need a whole other podcast to talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, this is the the ups and downs of tennis, and right now it's definitely a, we're going through a, a tough phase. But um, it's it's in, what's interesting I find is that probably playing better than we've done before. But in tennis, it's all about moments, and we're just you know two or three swings off of where we were or where we want to be, and uh, the differences are significant in what it does to a score or to a result. So it's it's there is no the, somebody asked me the other day what's your what do you do for players that have are struggling with confidence and not feeling good about that stuff on the court and i kind of was embarrassed to say i don't have a great answer for that of all the years i played and coached confidence is something so difficult because it's almost um emotional mental construct it's not a tangible thing it's not something you really know what even it means you hear players a lot of the times whether it's a pro or a club player saying i feel really good today i I felt the ball really good mm. um, or I'm hitting really well. And I think Magda said to me last year after she she had a good run in Australia, she said the word that she said came to her mind was calm. I was just calm. Um, and it's trying to find that again. But it's such a difficult thing. To, confidence is such a difficult thing to find and such an easy thing to lose. Yes. And the agreed. only way that I can, the only solution I've come for confidence is that confidence comes from the work you do on the practice court, the work you put in in the gym, to know that under pressure you've you've done the, the right things and that you can trust eventually that you know your discipline will come through. But I, if anyone out there listening has the secret, please let me know and we can monetize <laughs> that billion Easily. dollar idea. Put together. it in a bottle. Well, I will say that yes. uh, this is a subject I discussed in depth with Craig Tizer the former coach, of course, of Ash Barty. They won Wimbledon and the Australian Open together. And he gave me two words that she used all the time. And we will release that interview in a few weeks' time. So I'm going to keep it as a tease, Mark, and not let you know just yet. But we'll talk about that in a few weeks' time. I'm I'm re I'm hanging on those words, Kenny, because maybe <laughs> that's what I need. Maybe he's got the two words I need to, to use. Yeah, really interesting... <laughs> interview and we're getting a lot more interviews with third parties not just you and I so we've heard from the Italian Tennis Federation we've heard from Xavier Pujol of course the coach of Anna Blinkova formerly of Vavara Gracheva and Mira Andreva what an interesting guy he is and we've got loads more great interviews to come.
Yeah, that was great. Xavier was great for talking about Vavara. So uh, it's great to have more more people on. There's some really interesting insights out there. So thanks. And for, nice for you because you can pick their brains and get that secret sauce. Yeah, I'm always trying to pick everyone else's brains. Uh, no one ever comes to pick mine except you. So I, maybe <laughs> maybe that tells me something. Uh, it's telling us everything we need to know. Mark, thank <laughs> you. And we'll do it all again. And don't forget, listeners, that uh, you can uh, be on Twitter with us. Ask Mark a question at DOA. PTC and Mark loves a bit of social media, as he just said. Love it. Can't wait. All right. Good luck in Abu Dhabi. Speak to you soon, Mark. Thanks, Candy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you soon.